I appreciate you, Misty. Love you. Uh, thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, this time, I remind you that uh, you were received in your handout a, uh, a guide, but a study guide that we give to you each week. It's a way for you to read God's Word on your own and to study God's Word on a daily basis. I really hope you'll take the time to do that. I find that if we, we do that on a daily basis, God's Word becomes real to us. We begin to understand it better, so I encourage you to do that. So there's a place for you to make notes there, the things that you might want to remember as well. So I encourage you to use that space. Let's uh, pause for a moment of prayer. Ask God to lead us in this time. Gracious God, we just um, thank you for all the many gifts that have been given this morning in music and sharing of abilities and the things that are there. God, we feel your presence in this place when we come together. We realize that you were at work in our life. We thank you for that because we live in a world that at times it's it seems so dark, and it seems um, <clears throat> where evil is reigning, and it, it's hard to see you. Thank you for this moment where we come to be reminded that uh, you are alive, and that you can be experienced, and you can be make all things new. So come, Lord Jesus, minister to us in this place. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts here in this place be acceptable, pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're actually concluding a uh, series of sermons that we've been in dealing with the power of our words. The first week we talked about the power of our words as it relates to uh, our everyday lives, how we encounter with one another, school, work, uh, neighbors, and friends. Uh, The next week we looked at the power of our words as it relates to our families. In the following week we talked about um, religion and and politics (laughs) and how our words have the power to tear us apart as a nation or it also has the power to heal us. Today, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the power of our words when it comes to how we talk about God and to God. We're also going to be looking at the power of our words as it relates to our, ourselves, and the words that we use in our self-talk. Um, then we're going to take a look at the power of God's word to us. So that's where we're headed this morning. And each week, I've been encouraging you to learn a verse of Scripture to actually try to memorize this because it it really gives us great guidance in how we are to use our words on a daily basis. I want to invite you to say these words with me again. You see them on the screen here? There we go. Let's say this together. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. This is our mission that we believe God calls us to when it comes to the use of our words. So I, I really hope that you try to continue to remember that, embed that in your minds and your hearts, even after we go into something else. All right, so I wanted to go ahead and jump into these scriptures that we have for us today. You had three of them. The first of these actually comes from the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first one is actually the third commandment of those ten. And uh, again, I want to encourage you, let's, let's say it together as we see it in the King James Version. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Yeah, some of you were like, wait a minute, do I want to say that or not? <clears throat> Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How many of you were taught this by your parents when you were growing up in Sunday school? Yeah, we're familiar with this, this passage. We all know this. Well, this morning we want to ask the question, what does this really mean? Uh, what does this mean? So let's try to unpack that. Now, when we talk about the name of God, you have to recognize that in the Bible, uh, there are many names for God. Uh, the word that we use for God today is kind of a generic term that encompasses all of those things. But in the Hebrew text and the Greek text, there are many names for God. 
But the one name that is used more than any of the other names, it's used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament alone. Um, That's more than all the other names for God combined. It's the name that was uh, revealed to Moses when he encountered that burning bush out in the wilderness. You remember Moses tending his sheep. He encounters this bush that's burning but not being consumed, and he hears the voice of God speaking to him. God asked him, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to set my people free. And then you remember Moses asked the question, well, who do I say sent me? What God is it that's sending me to do this? I mean, what do I tell these people? And you remember how God responded. He says, my name is Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, the truth is, we really don't know much about what this word actually means because the rabbis in that day thought this word for God, God's name was so holy that they forbid people to even speak it because for fear that they might uh, misuse God's name and, and, and uh, violate somehow the third commandment. So we, didn't, we don't hear much about this, any, any breakdown of it. And even the Hebrew is kind of silent about this. Uh, it's a unique word in every sense. But we remember how God said, my name is Yahweh, and he says, I am that I am. So in the Hebrew text, this has to have something to do with the word to be, the Hebrew word to be. As scholars have wrestled with what this word really means or what understanding of it, but the real essence of what we believe God is saying here is that I am the source of all existence. Everything that exists derives its existence from me, ultimately. So my name is holy. It is mysterious. It is holy. And you are not to use my name in vain. Jesus actually taught the same thing to us about how God's name is holy. You remember when he told us in his prayer that we say every week here in uh, the Lord's Prayer that this is how you are to address God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. You know, you need to lift the name of God as holy. Holy is your name. So whenever we speak about God or when we speak to God, when we use God's name, we are to use God's name in a holy way with reverence. Because this is what it's designed to be. Many Jews today, even today, they, when they write God's name, they do so like this on the screen. Because it's, it's a way for them you know, to, to avoid trying to misuse God's name in any way. And they want to show reverence for this. So we are not to use the name of our Lord, God's name in vain. But what does it mean to use God's name in vain? We're here again to do a little word study with a, a Hebrew text here. Uh, the word for uh, take, take God's name. The word for take there means to, to pick up or to use. And then when we get to the word vain, uh, of course that means someone is being superficial. There's a certain falsehood to who they are, what they're, what they're portraying about themselves. It's, it's kind of misleading. Uh, and then, of course, there's the idea that, the, that uh, someone who is vain is self-absorbed. The Hebrew word means all of that, but it also has a meaning that refers to being trivial, trivial. So um, to use God's name in a way that is to be in vain is to take God's name, which is meant to be holy, and to use it in a trivial, self-serving way. Uh, What our parents taught us not to use God's name in vain. We all knew that that meant that we weren't supposed to cuss using God's name, right? And they were right to teach us that. I mean, we shouldn't use God's name in that way. Uh, When you hit your finger with a hammer 
and you miss you use God's name, uh, and, and, you know that's that's using God's name in a trivial way, um, because we're not actually praying in that moment, are we? I mean, most of us not praying at that moment. Uh, you're not actually speaking about God in a real sense. I mean, you're, uh, we're just crying out in that area. That's misusing God's name when we do that. Uh, when we use God's name in the midst of an exclamation, or when we're angry or irritated, or even when we're surprised, like "Oh God," you know, you know, when you're using that way, that is. That is to misuse God's name. It's to trivialize God's name. It is to uh, render God's name meaningless when we use it in those ways. And what I just want to encourage you to do is to be people who don't do that. I mean, if we're, we're God followers here. We, we, just, we just don't do that because God has asked us not to. Actually, here's a helpful way I found, uh, at least I heard about, that was a, a practice of one family. And uh, you take a jar, and this is a way for you to overcome this habit of using God's name in vain or trivializing God's name. You take a jar and you put your lid on it, and you cut a slit in the top of the drawer. And every time in your family when someone misuses God's names in a way that it shouldn't be used or uh, you trivialize God's name, there's a penalty. And the penalty is you put money in it. Now, for children who are getting an allowance, that may be something like 25 cents, 50 cents. Um, for teenagers who are getting an allowance, uh, more money, or maybe they have a job, that could be $5, $10 every time you misuse God's name. For um, adults, uh, you might consider doing 20 or 50, maybe even $100. Listen, I promise you that if you make the penalty in your family $100 for misusing God's name in a trivial way, it will not take you about one or two times for you to break this uh, habit or, or cure yourself from using God's name in a, a trivial way. So that's just to offer to help. And at the end of that month, you can decide you can use that money as a family to do something good for some others who are in need and use that in a, in a way that glorifies God. So we are not to use God's name in vain. Listen to what the third commandment goes on to say. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Wow. That's a pretty serious warning to us not to misuse God's name. Now, the truth is, I think that's part of what this uh, commandment was about, but I really don't think that's the primary thing that uh, was being uh, attempted to understand by this third commandment. The, the third commandment was primarily about making uh, God's name used in ways that where you're invoking God's name in places that God would wa- won't, not want his name invoked. Uh, this is to, uh, to cover up things that are self-serving, to cloak them in God's name. It is um, to use God's name to justify uh, things that we're trying to do, our own personal agendas, in a way that God would never want his name associated with. I think of the example of, was in the news not long ago about a man who was a pastor claiming to represent God, and yet he was using his position as a pastor to um, sexually abuse children and women who were very vulnerable. And I think that when God sees people using his name as a way to hurt others, I think it just causes God's anger to burn. I mean, you take the Islamic extremists that we see in the news that behead people and they're running, you know, blowing themselves up, suicide bombers and running into uh, crowds of people with their cars, all in the name of Allah. And again, I think when God sees people using his name as a way to hurt other people, I just think God is upset at that. I think it burns within him his anger toward that. And it's not just those extremist uh, uh, Islamic people or other people in the world. It's, it's, I think we've always had this tendency in a, over the course of history to baptize our wars in God's name. I mean, even the Germans prior to the time of the Nazis 
World War II, they had on the, all the buckle of their uh, uniforms the words, God is with us. Then later on, the Nazis adopted that same motto, God is with us. It's interesting that almost every war that's ever been fought on this planet has made the claim of God is on our side. God is with us while we're killing one another. Uh, these are, I think, some of the ways that we perhaps misuse God's name. Um, we wrestle with this. But, of course, I don't think most of us are going to be guilty of uh, you know, using God's name to justify sexually abusing children or women that are vulnerable or to, to wage a war in the name of Jesus. So how does this warning apply to us? Where does it fit with our lives? And here I think about the fact that we're all followers of God here. <clears throat> we all follow God. And yet, sometimes the words that we use end up pushing people away from God instead of drawing them to God. I mean, many, many young people today uh, claim that uh, one of the reasons that they don't go to church anymore is because they've had too many people in the church being so judgmental toward them and their friends that they just don't want to have anything to do with that. Here I think back to the words of Gandhi. who says, I would have been a Christian if it were not for the Christians I knew. <laughs> Bad. And so I think we need to ask ourselves the question, are there times in our lives when we're guilty of doing things in the way that we live our lives and how we treat others and the words that we speak that end up pushing people away from God instead of drawing them to God? I think the truth is we've probably all been guilty of that to some degree. So we have to make sure that we are trying to use words and actions that are pleasing to God. As the psalmist says in our scripture today, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In other words, there is pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is why we, we want to make sure that no evil talk comes out of our mouth except for that of building one another up so that there is, as, as there is need, so you may give grace to all those here. But when we're doing this, we are drawing people to the God that we worship instead of pushing people away. All right, the next point that I'm going to talk about really may seem a little... Um, disconnected with what we're talking about this morning, but hang with me here. I think you'll find that uh, as we go through this, you'll see how it all comes together. And that's how the words that we use for ourselves, our, our self-talk, can often be very destructive words. We get self-destructive. I mean, many times the words that we talk to ourselves or speak to ourselves over are like evil words <clears throat> that are not about building ourselves up, but rather they're about, um, they end up, Tearing ourselves down. See if you hear any of these words that are familiar to you. I can't. Even before we start or even before we try, we say to ourselves, I can't. Because that's what we believe about ourselves. I don't deserve, and then you fill in the blank. I'm not worthy. How many times were you told growing up, where you'll never amount to anything, you'll never measure up, you'll never be as good as. And those tapes replay in your head. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'll never be as smart as those other people. I'll never measure up. These are the kind of things that we play over and over in our head and keep telling ourselves. I think a lot of us are guilty of that kind of self-talk that leaves us feeling unloved, unlovable, unforgiven, unintelligent, uninteresting. Um, 
unattractive. Almost every unword out there we have used, we've all been guilty of using those kind of words about ourselves. And this is where this final part of my sermon actually fits in because I want to talk about God's word to us in the midst of that. You see, God speaks a word to us that begins to erase those tapes that we keep playing over in our heads about ourselves. God speaks a word to us that builds us up and gives life to us. God speaks a word to us that has the ability to change everything about our lives. The truth is, we worship a God who speaks. I mean, the Bible is clear about this. We worship a God who speaks to us. All He speaks through the Bible, through God's word. He speaks through that small, still voice of the Holy Spirit every day. He speaks through uh, sermons. He speaks, speaks through music. He speaks through other people. God is always speaking to us. Oh, Missy, right? God is always speaking to us. Uh, if we just are willing to listen. In the very beginning of the Bible, remember how Genesis 1 uh, talks about how God created this universe. And how did God create the universe? He spoke with a word. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and then it is the power of God's word here in the very beginning of the Bible that points out God speaks and he brings realities into existence. That's the power of his word. When you move past the story of creation, you get to Abraham and Sarah, their story. Here, Abraham and Sarah are in retirement. They're old, and they're, they're reaping the benefits, living the, the good life off the, the fruits of the retirement. And God speaks to them and says, hey, I know, I know you're old and you're retired, and you, you're, uh, you think you're done, but I've got something left for you. You're not done yet. God says, I blessed you so that you might be a blessing to all the nations upon the earth. And I want you to leave this place where it's nice, and I want you to go to some place you've never been before, and I'm going to do something great through you. And so they go, not knowing where they're going, but they, look, they go. And one night, looking up at the stars in the sky, God speaks another word to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I know that you don't have any children with your wife, Sarah. But um, see those stars? Someday your descendants will be as great as the stars in the sky. See, God speaks to us about things that are not yet. And when we trust in him, they come to be. Everything changed for Abraham and Sarah and for our entire world because God spoke a word, realities come into being. Moses, we look at his story. You see how Moses was in the wilderness. Uh, he's he's his burning bush and God says, Moses, I know, I know you're old. I know you're retired and you think everything's over with. But look, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to set my people free. God's word rocked Moses' world. And the whole life of the Israelites were changed forever. God speaks and things happen. Uh, once again, throughout the Old Testament, you read over and over again how God speaks and new realities come into existence, bringing new life out of situations that seem to be hopeless. You have the people of Israel, they're in exile. And now God speaks a word to them through Jeremiah. They've lost everything. They see no hope of there ever being reconciliation or going back to their life as God's chosen people. But God says to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Then in Isaiah, we read how he's talking to, he's really chastising the people of Israel for their unfaithfulness to him. And yet, at a moment when they feel like there's no hope because of their sin, he speaks these words. God says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your, skin, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though they are like red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God speaks. And new realities come into being. When you trust in God and his word to us, what you find is those old tapes that we keep playing around our heads, they begin to become erased and new realities begin to take shape for our lives. This is the power of God's word. In John 1, we hear the scripture, the word is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. I hear John is referring to Jesus. I wonder why he calls Jesus the word, not just a word, but the word. I think it's because John realized that throughout history, over the course of time, God had continually been trying to communicate to us who he is and what his will is for our life. He did that through the lawmakers, through prophets, through kings, through his small, still voice of his Holy Spirit. He's been continually trying to reach out to us and communicate these things to us, but we keep missing it. We fail to understand it. God has always longed to reveal himself to us, to help us to understand who he is, what he's like, who we're called to be. So finally, God takes his word and he fleshes it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, through Jesus, it is who we understand God to be. It's, we were able to see and understand what God is like and what God calls us to be. So when you look at Jesus, what you're looking at is God's word to us. A word that has the power to erase those tapes in our minds. A word that has the power to create a new reality for us. He can make all things new. When Jesus began his ministry, what was the first thing he began to do? He went out and he began to seek out those who were nobodies, those who were disenfranchised, marginalized, those people who were considered to be small and insignificant. He went out to each of them and he gave them a new hope. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. That was his mission, his passion. He calls a group of fishermen who were uneducated and a tax collector who was considered to be a traitor to be his disciples. He then finds a woman who has been married five times, is now living with a man that's not her wife, and he calls her to follow him and sends her to the, the Samaritan people to, to proclaim the gospel to her people as the first missionary. Another woman was thrown at his feet, caught in the act of adultery, and everybody's ready to stone her to death. But Jesus offers her grace and a new life. This is the word that Jesus brings to us, God's word to us. He comes to people who are um, filled with demons, demon-possessed, those who we might consider to be mentally ill today, unclean spirits, the scripture said. But to these people, he gave new life, new hope, a future. Uh, finally, we see Jesus hanging on the cross. And when as we see Jesus hanging on the cross, it tells us just how broken this world really is. The most religious people of that day and time would crucify the word of God. When we look upon the cross, we see how broken our lives are. That it was for our sins that he was placed there. And yet we hear those words, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When we look at the cross, we hear Jesus saying those words, I love you this much. You are worth this to me. The cross is the message that you are loved. You are worthy. 
you can be forgiven. There's a purpose for your life. There's meaning. There's hope to hang on to. That God has promised he will always be there for you. You matter to God. That's the message of the cross. But of course, that's not where the message ends. It continues under the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, we hear the word of God saying that the evil in our world, the sin, the death that we encounter, never has the final word with God. Because God has overcome. He's triumphed over those things with hope and with life. Uh, you know, for the Jews, their defining story for them is that story of how God uh, delivered them as they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, for them, that, that helps them understand their worldview and how God works and who God is. That there is a God who delivers them, and God still delivers us, and that we can place our hope in God. Uh, God has the power to do these things. They were once nobodies, but now they're somebodies in God. That's their defining story, and that's part of our story as well. But our story continues. It doesn't stop there. It continues with Jesus. This story of Jesus is one about how God walks with us, comes to us to show us the way, the truth, and the life. This is the story that shows us that our lives matter to God and that we have the promise of eternal life for all those who place their trust in him. This is our story. And that's the kind of tapes that are supposed to be playing in your head instead of those ones that are demeaning and always tearing ourselves down. But our lives matter to God. And when you trust and you believe in this story, that can create a new reality for your life, new meaning, new purpose. For suddenly, all of those unwords that you use to describe yourself over the years, you find that those don't apply anymore because you are loved. You are forgiven. You are worthy. You do deserve. Uh, there is life for you because God has promised he will never leave you. This is our defining story. Now, all that may sound really great to you. But the truth is, there are probably some here today who are longing for that to truly be their story. But you're caught in that place of skepticism or maybe even cynicism. Maybe you're finding yourself trapped, enslaved by those tapes that have been playing in your head about yourself. Now, that may be good for some people, but I'm not worthy of that. God wouldn't really love me that much. But if that's where you are today, I implore you to look at the word of God that you find in Jesus Christ. Look at his story and see how God longs for that to be your story. But you have to understand that this word from God through Jesus requires a response. I mean, if you want this, this, uh, this story to become your story, and you want to have that power to erase those tapes that have kept you down and enslaved and trapped in your life, with no hope, then you have to respond to this word. With a, the response is very simple. It's just one little three-letter word. The word is yes. Yes. I believe, Lord. Yes, Lord. I trust that you love me. Yes, Lord, I trust that in your eyes I'm worthy. Yes, Lord, I believe that you can forgive me. Yes, Lord. I believe in you. But after saying that, you know, there's another response as well. I mean, we're called to, to say yes to this, but we're also called to live it. And that takes us back to the beginning of the sermon. How do you think people who have never read the Bible or may never read it, or people who don't go to church, can hear the word of God? 
or at least in you and me. We are the Bible, perhaps the only Bible that some people will ever read. We are the only word of God some people will ever hear until they say yes. Which is why it's really important that we let no evil talk come out of our mouth, but only that which is useful for building up as is needed so that we may give grace to those who hear. This is why it's really important that we make it our prayer every day. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and redeemer. And this is why we try to uh, not take God's name in vain and to use it in trivial ways. This is why we try to uh, not do things and, and act in ways and live lives that would detract from what God wants us to be and what God's will is for us that would push people away instead of draw them. But instead, to the best of our ability, and with the help of God's Holy Spirit, we seek to live lives where people can see Christ in us. This is our, our call. This is why we were created. This is our mission as Jesus' disciples. To let Christ be seen in us. So I want to invite you again to say these words that we've been trying to memorize together in Ephesians. Let's say them here. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. We could live that. We could change the world. God could bring about a new reality, even our homes, our families, our marriages, relationships with parents and children, our workplace, our school. So let's make it our prayer, these words from the psalmist. I invite you to say them with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. As you close your eyes and bow your heads, I, I want to invite you this morning to, to say yes to God. I mean, many of us may have said that at one point in our life, and like Lauren was sharing with us, you know, we don't always stay on that road. Uh, sometimes... We fall away from God's grace and we live lives that are not according with that. So I'm going to invite you, all of us, to say yes again to God today. Yes, you matter to me. I mean, God is telling, telling you that you matter to him, that he loves you. That um, all those old tapes that play around in your head, God can, can erase those and give you a new reality to live by. There's just one, three little word, three letter word that you have to say. Yes. So I'm going to invite you on the count of three. Let's all just do it together. I'm not going to single anybody out here. Let's all do it together on the count of three. Say yes. One, two, three. Yes. Yes. And then make this your own prayer. You can pray it with me under your breath, quietly, or just to yourself. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I trust that you love me. Yes, Lord, I know that you forgive me. Yes, Lord. I want to follow you. Be for me my new defining story. Help me with my words and my actions to share with others your love and your grace. This we pray in Jesus' name.